I'm Marion Wine with Wine Feeders in Alice, Texas. You're listening to the latest news in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. This is Texas Ag Today, the number one source for the latest news in Texas agriculture. The largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State covers it all. From the piney woods of East Texas to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos, and from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. Here's today's top stories. Farmers in the Texas High Plains are being advised to be on the lookout this season for a newly discovered corn disease. I'm James Hunt, and we'll talk about that on Texas Ag Today. What are the National Corn Growers Association's priorities for the new year? I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have those answers straight ahead on Texas Ag Today. Discussing mental health issues on the farm. Gary Joyner has more on that from the American Farm Bureau Convention in Salt Lake City. Now, here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. Why don't you jump on in with me and buckle up? We're going to take a ride around the Lone Star State as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the nation, Texas agriculture. And it all starts right now. The American Sheep Industry Association is among the many agriculture groups hoping for a new farm bill to be passed sooner than later. At the recent ASI convention in Denver, Executive Director Peter Orwick said one of the programs that they're looking for re-upping in the next farm bill is the wool loan program. When COVID-19 hit, he says they lost a market for wool for probably half the growers in the nation. For us, it's a wool loan program, which unfortunately for probably half the growers in the nation, really right now is the only revenue available for that coarser, maybe more colored wools. Um, that, that market, they during the pandemic, they just stacked up wool all around the world. And just so the demand at any price for some categories is very tough. So it's hugely important for us to have the wool loan program 40 cents pound greasy uh, is available today. And, and since the program was done 20 years ago, we're asking Congress, we need to update and modernize those rates. And so we could see hopefully 40, 50% increase. Work on a new farm bill may start in March. House Agriculture Chairman G.T. Thompson recently told reporters he is looking for possible farm bill action in the U.S. House in March. According to the National Sorghum Producers Newsletter, the chairman said the House Speaker is supportive of the plan. He also reiterated the need for a highly effective farm bill and putting more farm in the farm bill. 17 U.S. Senators also voiced their opinions on the upcoming farm bill. A letter from Senator Michael Bennett of Colorado and Deb Fisher of Nebraska urged Senate Agriculture Committee leadership to address the long-term drought in the farm bill. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. The world's largest meat packer, JBS of Brazil, wants to be listed on the New York Stock Exchange. But lawmakers here in the U.S. and in the United Kingdom have sent letters to the Securities and Exchange Commission cautioning against the listing of JBS. Trading on the New York Stock Exchange would give JBS more capital and enhance its credibility. 
but the company is blamed for deforestation in the Amazon rainforest. The lawmakers and environmental groups argue that expanded capital would allow the company to do even more harm. In that letter from U.S. senators, they said dozens of journalistic and NGO reports have shown that JBS is linked to more destruction of forests and other ecosystems than any other company in Brazil. Farmers in the Texas High Plains are being advised to watch out for a newly discovered corn disease. James Hunt tells us there are a lot of unknowns about this new disease. At producer education meetings in the Texas High Plains, one big topic is a newly discovered corn disease referred to as late-season decline. Robert Bowling, a field agronomist with Corteva and Pioneer, says it most commonly shows up sometime after pollination. It'll look a lot like sun scald, so we're going to see these necrotic lesions on the upper part of the plant, but it'll extend down into the ear leaf as well. And that's usually where we see those symptomologies start to develop. But like I say, it looks a lot like sun scald. Now, one of the differences is if you look at the area around that lesion, that necrotic lesion, then you're going to see what appears to be some water-soaked areas. Bowling says in the few years that late-season decline has been known about, its effects have been varied, ranging from having little impact to causing significant yield losses. As for what causes it, researchers haven't determined that yet. We're still learning a lot about this disease. It doesn't produce spores, so it's not going to come in through wounds in the plants. It's probably either seaborne pathogen. I don't think that's the case here right now. Or it's being vectored by an insect. And that's what we're looking for right now is to find the vector. With so little known right now, not much can be said about how to combat this disease. My best advice now is if you have something that looks like sun scald, I would suggest that you call your consultant or your seed dealer, have them take some samples, send it into the A&M lab. If it's going to Corteva, we can send it into our lab too to get a diagnosis. Robert Bowling with Corteva and Pioneer. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Corn growers are working to increase the use of ethanol and promote sustainability. Tom Nicoletti has the story. From domestic to international issues, the National Corn Growers Association is moving forward to help protect and advance corn farmers' interests in Texas and across the Corn Belt. Kenneth Hartman is first vice president of NCGA and a corn, soybean, and wheat farmer in Illinois. Uh, one of our number one priorities on ethanol is uh, the Next Generation Fuel Act. Basically, it would advance higher blends of ethanol. It's a win for the consumer, it's a win for the uh, environment, and it's, a, and it's definitely a win for our, our farmers that uh, keep producing more grain. We are actually working on E15 right now, too. We're hoping to get, to get that uh, E15 passed throughout the whole United States. Talk a little bit about sustainability and what uh, corn growers are hoping to uh, achieve in that area as you move forward. We're a member of uh, Farmers for Soil Health. We're looking at uh, you know promoting uh, cover crops throughout the whole United States. We've got some grants with the Farmers for Soil Health that uh, works on paying for the next uh, three years, basically cover crops, also promoting sustainability when it comes to you know working with um, other environmental issues, uh, water quality, and uh, and uh, no-till. Well, we're also working on uh, with, uh, you know, our, we have our issues with Mexico with trade and, and uh, USMCA. We feel it's very important that, you know, Mexico is our number one trade partner. And uh, we want to make sure that they abide by that US, USMCA um, 
contract uh, trade agreement. So we're definitely uh, keeping uh, USTR working on that. We're hoping that we can see some results next spring to, to fix that issue that we have with uh, bringing in uh, uh, food-grade corn into uh, Mexico. That is Kenneth Hartman. He is first vice president of the National Corn Growers Association. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The discussion of mental health issues on the farm are becoming more open. Gary Joyner is at the American Farm Bureau Convention in Salt Lake City, where he visits with a farmer who's working to build more awareness on the mental health issue. This is Gary Joyner, and I'm pleased to be joined by Marshall Sewell of Florida, an ag producer who's now speaking out and helping others recognize the need uh, to focus on their mental health, uh, to deal with maybe stresses that are in their operations and their families. And you've stepped forward, Marshall, and you want farmers and ranchers to hear from you and hear your story. Yes, sir, I do. And, and it's something that I didn't necessarily know that I was going to be involved in in regard to this advocacy space. But I know a lot about my personal lived experience and what my family has gone through in terms of grief and loss. And to, to put that in very short terms, I'll just share that while I was still in high school, my family experienced a major crop failure, and it was prior to having even the first harvest of the season. I hadn't harvested anything, so you could say that we had everything on the table at that point, all the bills coming in, no checks, and at the time of that crop failure, my dad made the ultimate decision that the world no longer needed him in it. And so that was right around the holiday time, and on top of going through the, the ebbs and flows of the holiday season, we were also planning funeral arrangements for my dad and my mom and my brother and I were left to try and pick up the pieces and understand what to do with our family farm and the topic of farm stress and especially loss to farm suicide it is very close to home as I just shared and so again never really knew that I was going to be involved in this space but as we continue to recognize a growing need within the industry to destigmatize the topic and increase access to resources for farmers and ranchers it's something that my family has continued to grow our involvement in. How will Texas farmers and ranchers see you, hear you? You're going to be part of a nationwide public service announcement campaign. Absolutely. So this uh, this collaboration with the Ad Council, Huntsman Mental Health Institute, and also American Farm Bureau, it's actually titled Love Your Mind. And you can access that with loveyourmindtoday.org, and you can find all sorts of resources. And on top of that, American Farm Bureau also has resources as well through their Farm State of Mind campaign and now their Farm Family Wellness Alliance. And so I would encourage any active member, any members listening and paying attention that it's okay to not be okay, but you need to seek out the support when you need it. And you can access that through plenty of other channels. Are you pleased that Farm Bureau is becoming a facilitator of this type of outreach and conversation? Absolutely. I believe that uh, we've done a great job at scratching through the surface and beginning to destigmatize. I'm happy to see resources being made available. And I believe that the conversation is going to continue to grow. Last question, what's the hardest first step for someone that knows they need to visit with someone but are reluctant to do so? What, what's that first step like? We could go down a rabbit hole of a lot of different steps, but I think the first is just being open and vulnerable, at least with yourself, to admit that there is an issue. And, and accepting that and owning that and realizing that it's okay to seek out support, whether it be from a family member, a friend, or, or some other member of your network. I think that's a big first step is just identifying that it is an issue and openly accepting it. Well, thank you, Marshall, for sharing your story. It's Marshall Sewell of Florida here at the American Farm Bureau Federation Annual Meeting in Salt Lake City. I'm Gary Joyner for the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. An angler recently reeled in the catch of a lifetime from J.B. Thomas Reservoir. I'm Jessica Dolmel, and I'll have more coming up on Texas Ag Today. 
and horseshoes became a necessity back in the 19th and 20th centuries, but not so much today. These stories plus a look at the markets are straight ahead on Texas Ag Today. National FFA Week is February 17th through the 24th, a week set aside for FFA students across the country to share how FFA impacts members every day. I'm National FFA President Amara Jackson from Michigan. What better way to show your support of FFA members than to get involved in FFA Week? Whether it's in person, on the phone, or via social media, be sure to share your FFA stories during hashtag FFA Week, February 17th through the 24th. We're heard on over 140 great Texas radio stations. This is Texas Ag Today on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Horseshoes became a necessity back in the 19th and 20th centuries. But Dr. Bob Judd says things are a bit different now. With the decline in working horses and the introduction of deformable synthetic surfaces for horse competitions, shoeing should no longer be required in all horses. Horseshoes provide protection when wear on the solar surface of the foot exceeds growth at the coronary band. Shoes provide increased traction and can improve compromised structures of the hoof, but there are negative consequences to shoeing your horse. Shoes are not an extension of the hoof, as shoes have different mechanical properties than the hoof wall. In a horse without shoes, there is a single interface between the hoof and the ground. But with shoes, there are two interfaces, hoof to shoe and shoe to ground and this increases impact on the foot. Also, applying a regular shoe increases the force exerted on the navicular bone and deep digital flexor tendons by 14%. The barefoot hoof shows a superior ability to absorb shock, and the hoof can change shape as needed, and a shoe elevates the foot off the ground, which places all the horse's weight on the hoof wall, versus having the entire sole support the weight when barefoot. If your horse has been wearing shoes and you want to transition, a period of time is required. Sometimes a hoof cast is required to protect the hoof wall when transitioning to barefoot. After removing the shoes, the horse should be walked only for the first week and then ridden on soft ground for the next few weeks. Dr. O'Grady indicates to apply shoes, the foot is trimmed, but to go barefoot, the foot is shaped. Join me next time for more on barefoot trimming and also specific treatment of some conditions. I'm Dr. Bob Judd on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. An angler recently reeled in the catch of a lifetime from J.B. Thomas Reservoir. Jessica Nomal tells more about it in today's Wildlife Report. The 2024 share lunker season is off to a great start. According to the Texas Share Lunker Facebook page, the first legacy-class lunker of the 2024 season was recently reeled in from J.B. Thomas Reservoir southwest of Snyder. The 13.79-pound largemouth bass was caught by Lawrence Lee, who called the Sherlunker hotline to loan the fish to the program for selective breeding at the Texas Freshwater Fisheries Center. The catch is the first Sherlunker from the reservoir, making J.B. Thomas the 76th public reservoir in Texas to produce a legacy-class Sherlunker. Each year from January to the end of March, Anglers in Texas who reel in a 13-plus pound bass can loan it to the Toyota Sherlunker program for selective breeding. These are called Legacy Class Sherlunkers. The offspring from those fish and the lunkers themselves are stocked back into Texas lakes to create bigger, better bass for future generations in Texas. 
Anglers who catch bass more than eight pounds can submit their catch and genetic data to the department to aid in management of the fishery. And now we know more about the successes of the 2023 season. The Texas Parks and Wildlife Department reports that last year, 346 anglers from across the nation entered 497 lunkers from 89 public water bodies in Texas. The top water bodies last year were OHIV, Toledo Bend, Lake Fork, Lake Conroe, and Possum Kingdom. Additional details on how to enter a lunker into the program or loan it to the program are available at TexasShareLunker.com. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Dolme. We'll check the markets coming up next on Texas Ag Today. National FFA Week is February 17th through the 24th, a week set aside for FFA students across the country to share how FFA impacts members every day. I'm National FFA Secretary Grant Norfleet from Missouri. What better way to show your support of FFA than to get involved in FFA Week? Whether it's in person, on the phone, or via social media, be sure to share your FFA stories during hashtag FFA Week, February 17th through the 24th. Here's the latest market information on Texas Ag Today. Cattle futures started the trading week lower. We traded lower throughout the session on Monday. That's how we wrapped it up with both live and feeder cattle in the red. February live cattle down 60 cents, 173.77. The April down 47, 176.90. With June live cattle down 5 174.27. Same thing on the feeder cattle. January feeders down 27 at 229.82. The March down 67, 231.27. The April down 37 at 237.10. Cash fed cattle market was very slow last week. In fact, we didn't see any sales until late on Friday or over the weekend. We wrapped it up with cattle selling here in the Southern Plains at 173. That's a buck higher compared to the previous week. In the Northern Plains, Packers bought cattle 173 to 175 live, 273 to 275 dressed. That's a mostly steady market compared to the previous week. Boxed beef prices were higher on Monday, choice up 231, 297.81, select up $2 at 28505. Now let's check the auction barns. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. My guest, Benny Cox, producers in Cargill, San Angelo. Benny, how was our Tuesday sheep and goat sale? You know, we were closed for two weeks, and we had 44.85, and then today we had 17.71. Slaughter lambs were 15 to 25 higher. The slaughter ewes were 10 to 20 higher. Kids were 15 to 30 higher. Slaughter nannies in these billies were a good deal higher. That's because of these lack of numbers. We show up with six or 7,000 here in two or three weeks, and it doesn't have to hold true. The light end of these slaughter lambs, the air Cheap type from 236 to 350. The heavier weights over 80 pounds, 220 to 311. Uh, slaughter use from 80 to 138, but mostly 90 to 130 on them. Kid goats, uh, 250 all the way up to 410. Now, that's killing goats, 410. We did have some feeder type, you know, that probably sold up in that 445 range. But the bulk of your uh, killing um, kids, 326 to 370. And 1,700 and what? Yeah, 1,777 head. Uh, are we going to, I guess we're going to be short numbers probably uh, Thursday for the cattle sale also? I guess. So, you know, it, it 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 didn't 
it didn't actually warm up as much today as they thought it would. They claim it'll be 50 tomorrow and 70, you know, 65 to 70 on Thursday. Move these things and whatnot. The numbers have been limited. Of course, this feeder market on these light cattle especially has been crazy good. Uh, but I, I'm guessing a lot of people are still kind of tending to what they need to tend to. And right. Getting to rehydrated and all that stuff. I think we'll be shy of numbers. Tell everybody how to get a hold of you, Benny. Yeah, call me at 325-234-4277. Office same Code 653 or they can always look at the web, which is producersandcargolf.com. Neighbor, thanks so much for listening to Walking the Pins on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. I'm Larry Marble. That was Benny Cox. You're listening to us right now on Texas Ag Today. Thank you, Larry. Back over to the futures market now. We're lean hogs finished mixed on Monday. February hogs were up 17 at 70.92. The April down 52 cents, 77.62. Class three milk was higher. January milk up two cents, 15.20 a hundred weight. With February milk up six at 15.85 a hundred. Cotton continues to climb slowly higher. A higher stock market and a weaker U.S. dollar helped to boost the market a bit on Monday. March cotton up 88 points, 84.83. May cotton up 97 points, 85.86. With new crop December up 26 at 80.48 cents. Not much movement in the corn market on Monday, just a tick or two higher. March corn was up a quarter cent, 4.45 and three quarters. May corn up a quarter cent, 4.56 and a quarter. With September corn up a half. 469 and a half. Same thing on the wheat market. Not a whole lot of movement on Monday. March Kansas City wheat down a penny, 607 a bushel. New crop July up a half at 614 and a half. Soft wheat in Chicago finishing two and a quarter higher on the July contract at 612 a bushel. In the energy markets, February natural gas down nine cents, 242. February West Texas crude up a dollar sixty, 7501 a barrel. The financial markets were higher Monday afternoon. The Dow up 138 points, 38,001. The Nasdaq up 49 at 15,360. The S&P up 10 at 4,850. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this episode of Texas Ag Today. I'm Kerry Martin. Hope to see you back here next time as we cover the most important industry in this greatest state in the U.S. of A, Texas agriculture. Thanks for joining us for Texas Ag Today. Be sure to follow the Texas Ag Today podcast found wherever you listen to podcasts. For more Texas farm and ranch news, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.